The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Well, take your Bible in hand and come with me to Joshua chapter 1, the Old Testament book of Joshua, one of my favorite uh, uh, books in all of the Bible. Joshua chapter 1 will be the location of our text this morning. And as you're turning, I just simply want to add my thank yous to what Mark has already said to everyone who worked in Vacation Bible School um, this past week. I was just blown away at the number of ready, willing, smiling faces and hands that were here to love on our children uh, and to teach them uh, this precious life-transforming message of the gospel. And so for all of our folks, whether they were in the classroom teaching, whether they were involved in registration, the opening uh, worship time, recreation, uh, refreshments, whatever part you may have played, thank you so much uh, for being willing to love on our children this past week. It's a testimony of your walk with the Lord. I'll invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll begin reading this morning. I'm reading aloud, and you'll be reading silently, beginning Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you, nor forsake you. Father, would you, would you help us to see such profound biblical principles that are buried in this text? Father, would you help us to mine these these diamonds and see them as they glitter in sunlight. For from this passage, you want to teach us today about seasons of transition. And so, Lord, help us not only to learn academically today, help us to plant these principles in our lives. That even this coming week, yes, even in the morning, we might see them sprout and grow and bloom. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're being seated, I have a question for you this morning. The question is this, how do you handle transitions in your life? Certainly, we see in the text that we read a moment ago that the children of Israel are in one of their greatest transitions in all of their history. Moses, the leader that they have known for an entire generation for 40 years, has passed from this life to eternal life. 
And now a new leader by the name of Joshua is on the scene, and it is a season of transition for the children of Israel. For 40 years, when Moses said, go forward, the children of Israel went forward. When Moses said it was time to camp, the children of Israel would camp. When they were thirsty, they went to Moses. When they were hungry, they went to Moses. They looked to Moses for leadership and guidance and wisdom. And now the text is very plain to say Moses is dead. It's a time of transition for the children of Israel. How do you handle transitions in your life? We've all been through great transitions. If we've lived very many years at all, we've been through seasons of transition already in each of our lives. Think with me. You graduated from high school. What a season of transition in your life. I mean, in your high school days, there's mom and dad, and mom and dad are providing shelter and food, and and they're encouraging you to do your homework, and they're reminding you of that test on Tuesday. Then you graduate and you head off to one of several different environments. You head off to college, and there's no mom and dad to remind you you have a test on Tuesday. No gentle nudge to make sure you do your chemistry or your biology homework. You head off to the military and you find someone else who's going to give you some structure. He's called a drill instructor and he's not near as nice as your mother. It's a transition. Or maybe you head straight to the workplace. Instead of being able to sleep in and enjoy your afternoons and your evenings, you go to the workplace where now you find yourself working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. A season of transition. Now, how many of you here are married this morning? Well, you've been through a season of transition. Can you remember back to those single days when you just made decisions based upon you? And if you felt like going, you went. And if you felt like staying home, you stayed home. And now, now you went from being single to being husband and wife and all oh, the transition. Do you squeeze the toothpaste or do you roll it up? Transition time. How many of you are moms and dads? You remember that transition? You went from being husband and wife to mom and dad in just a brief 24-hour period for that labor and delivery. You you went from being carefree to enslaved (laughs) by an eight-year-old baby, an eight-pound baby. And for the rest of your life, that child calls your shots. It's going to determine when you sleep and when you eat and when you rest and when you're awake. Transitions happen all the time. So how do you handle seasons of transition? For you see, ladies and gentlemen, Emmanuel Baptist Church is in perhaps one of the greatest seasons of transition that any church can experience right now. When when you lose your pastor, when you lose, if you will, your Moses for a season... The one you've looked to for spiritual guidance and spiritual teaching and spiritual nourishment and spiritual leadership. When you you lose your Moses and you wait for Joshua to arrive, that is a delicate moment of transition for every congregation. So how do you handle seasons of transition? Well, in this text, ladies and gentlemen, we discover some principles of handling seasons of transition that the Lord lifted before the children of Israel. 
to remind them that yes, Moses is dead and Moses is gone. And yes, Joshua is stepping on the scene, but he is still on his throne is the essence of our text this morning. Come with me as we see these principles in Scripture. And the very first thing that, that we learn for the children of Israel in this passage of Scripture is that in seasons of transition, we must focus on God. In a season of transition, we must turn our attention, we, we must turn our focus on the Father. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's interesting that we see that in this text because historically that was not the actions of the children of Israel. Historically, if you look at the children of Israel, they are focused inwardly. Let me remind us from the book of Exodus. Look with me at the screen at several passages of Scripture. Exodus chapter 15. You'll, you'll remember in Exodus chapter 14, we have the parting of the Red Sea and the children of Israel go across on dry ground. And then we come to Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Inward focused. The Lord, in Exodus chapter 14, performs one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. He parts the Red Sea for the children of Israel to walk across on dry ground to save them from Pharaoh and his army. And we get just a few verses later, and they're already focused inwardly. Their lips are parched, their throats are dry, and they begin to grumble. What will we drink? Well, look at the very next chapter, Exodus chapter 16. And all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out to this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I'm hungry. My stomach's empty. They begin to grumble. Why? Because they're focused inwardly. Look at the very next chapter, chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, and they grumbled against Moses. Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Ladies and gentlemen, you look at the history of the children of Israel and they're focused time and time again inwardly. And did you notice one word that runs throughout all three chapters? Grumbled. You know what the word grumbled means in those three chapters of the Old Testament? Listen to this. It means to complain over time. You ever known anybody like that? Not just someone who complains once every now and then, but someone who complains over and over and over 
and over again. They're complaining all the time. Quit looking at each other and smiling. I've known some people like that, sometimes in the church. My last pastorate, I had a deacon come to me one Sunday morning and complain because the suit I was wearing that morning was too light of a color. I spoke to a pastor in North Carolina this past week. He had a lady come to him after he preached this past Sunday morning and complain about the shoes he was wearing. Now, he was a little braver than I was because he looked at her and said, if you'd paid more attention to the sermon than my shoes, we'd both be better off. <laughs> but the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, when we're focused inwardly, all we know to do is to complain about what is not right for us. And in a season of transition, if churches are not careful, we begin to focus inwardly. We begin to focus about how we like worship to unfold and the kind of worship style that we enjoy. We begin to focus inwardly at the kind of programming that we think is positive for the church. And if we're not careful, during a transition period, when we're waiting on Joshua to arrive, if we start focusing inwardly, we become people who grumble. Tom Rayner, who just retired as president of Lifeway Christian Resources, conducted an interview he interviewed people, listen, don't miss this, people who had been very active in their local Baptist church, had become upset and left the church, and he asked them, why did you leave? Now, these are not people who never went to church, and he asked them, why did you leave? He's not talking to people that simply attended, and he asked them, why did you leave? These were people who were leaders, who were servers, who were teachers, who were singers, people who were invested in the life of the church, and they got upset over something and left the church. And Rainer sat down and interviewed, why did you leave the church that you were so invested in? Here are some of the reasons they gave. Next slide. The worship leader refused to listen to me about the songs and music I wanted. The pastor did not feed me. No one from my church visited me. I was not about to support the building program they wanted. I was out two weeks and no one called me. They moved the times of the worship service and it messed up my schedule. Ladies and gentlemen, you look at this passage of scripture and the Lord is saying to the children of Israel, focus on God because when we focus inwardly in seasons of transition, nothing happens short of complaining and a loss of interest and a drifting away of the church. The Lord says, focus on God. Now, secondly, in this passage of Scripture, you, you see historically the children of Israel focused inwardly. But in this passage of Scripture, don't miss this, they're focused horizontally. They're looking at what's happening around them. Come back and look with me at this text, if you will. Look with me, if you will, verses 1 and 2. Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, why in the world did the Lord have to say Moses is dead? Joshua knows Moses is dead. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He, he knows very well that Moses is dead. Why is the Lord saying that? 
Well, look back in Deuteronomy chapter 34, the very last chapter before the book of Joshua. Look with me, verses 7 and 8. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eyes were not dim, nor his vigor abated, verse 8. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. The children of Israel, as we enter the book of Joshua, the children of Israel are paralyzed because of what's happening around them. Moses is dead. Their leader is dead. The man they've looked to for wisdom and guidance and direction is dead. And the congregation is paralyzed. The children of Israel are paralyzed, mourning and weeping over the death of Moses. And the Lord is having to say to Joshua and the children of Israel, as the book begins to unfold, take your eyes off of what's happening horizontally around you. Stop focusing on the fact that Moses is dead. The period of mourning is over. It's time to get up and march into the promised land that I've given you. Stop being paralyzed by what's happening around you. In seasons of transition for churches, sometimes we don't get focused inwardly, but sometimes we get focused horizontally. We're focused on what's happening around us. We start focusing on the financial report and the health of the church financially. We start focusing on the attendance. Is the attendance up or is the attendance down? We start focusing on those things that happen horizontally around us. And in this passage of Scripture, the Lord very strongly says to the children of Israel, don't focus inwardly and don't focus horizontally. Focus upwardly. Let me show you how he says it. Come back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Count how many times a pronoun is used in reference to the Lord. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to you, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. For the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. How many times, church? Nine. Over and over and over. In five verses of Scripture, the Lord says, focus on me. Focus on me. Me In this season of great transition for the children of Israel, children of Israel, focus on me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just here to tell you this morning. Your Moses is dead. You're waiting on the arrival of your Joshua, and we don't know how long it will be until he arrives. We know he will arrive. We know the Lord has already chosen him and selected him. We know that he's coming in our future. We're not sure how long it's going to be until he arrives, but until then, we have one task before us, and that is to focus on the Father. Not on what pleases us inwardly, 
not on what is happening around us horizontally, but to simply focus on God. If, if nothing happens during this interim time in which you're waiting on the arrival of your new pastor, if this congregation would simply come closer together and become more focused on the Father than you've ever been, then ladies and gentlemen, you would experience a season of revival. Because the more we focus on Him, the closer we draw to Him, the heart, and therefore the church is revived. So the first thing we see in this passage is that God says, focus on me, focus on the Father. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is that we're to focus on God's promise. Not just focus on God, but to focus on God's promise. Look with me, if you will, verses 3 and 4. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I, here's the phrase, just as I spoke to Moses. The Lord is saying to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to, to launch forward into the promised land and, and every place that your foot treads, I've already given it to you. Remember, I said this back to Moses. Now keep your finger in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to come back there in just a moment. Come with me to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. You can turn in your copy of God's Word or you can simply join me on the screen. Look what God said to Moses back in the book of Exodus. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive, and, excuse me, and you will drive them out before you. Back in the book of Exodus, God made this same promise that he's reminding Joshua of in the opening verses of the book of Joshua. And ladies and gentlemen, here's what I need you to see this morning. That was a promise that the children of Israel failed to focus on time and time and time again. Over and over in the Old Testament, we find the Lord promising, I'm going to give you the land of the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Amorites. I'm going to defeat all of your enemies. Every place where your foot touches, it's going to be your land. I'm going to give it to you. He made that promise to Moses. And over and over and over again, the children of Israel failed to focus on that promise. Now, here's what I think is happening in this passage of Scripture. The children of Israel do not doubt God's ability to keep this promise. They don't doubt His ability. Remember, the children of Israel stood on the bank of the Red Sea with Pharaoh and the chariots and his horsemen and his soldiers crashing down upon them to slaughter them. They watched the Lord as he rolled back the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. And when they got across on dry ground, they watched those, those walls of water crash down upon Pharaoh and destroy his army. They know the power and the sovereignty of the Father. When they were thirsty in those passages we read a moment ago, when they were thirsty, they watched the Lord twice bring water from a rock so they could drink and quench their thirst. For 40 years, every day, they had been eating at the hand of God through the quail and manna that he provided. They knew that God had the power 
to keep his promise. Here's what they're struggling with, ladies and gentlemen. They're struggling with God's integrity. They're just not sure he's going to keep his promise. They know he has the power to keep it. He has the ability to keep it. They've seen his miraculous, powerful, miracle-working hand at work for 40 years, day after day after day. They know the power of God. They're just struggling with whether God has the integrity to keep his promise. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. God's made a promise to you. Even in this season of transition, even in this time where you do not have a senior pastor, God has made a promise to you. Look with me what he says in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 16. This is his promise to Emmanuel Baptist Church. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter. Simon threw his hand up and answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, do not miss this phrase, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a promise made from the lips of Jesus 2,000 years ago to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will build my church. Jesus says to us this morning, this promise that he offers, whether you have a pastor or you are pastorless, I will build my church. Whether your senior pastor is with you every Sunday to preach God's word or whether you're in a season of transition waiting for a new senior pastor to arrive, Jesus says, I will build my church. I want you to hear this clearly. I don't want you to think I'm being disrespectful at all. Brother Steve didn't build Emmanuel. Your next pastor, as wonderful as he's going to be and as skillful as he will be, he will not build Emmanuel. In the meantime, your interim pastor, he will not build Emmanuel. Brother Jamie will not build Emmanuel. Brother Mark will not build Emmanuel. You will not build Emmanuel. Jesus says, I will build my church. Now, he's going to use you as he's using Mark and as he's using Jamie, as he used Steve, as he will use your next pastor, I pray as he will use me, he will use each of us, but don't lose sight of who the builder happens to be. Jesus said, I will build my church. Oh, Emmanuel Baptist Church, hang on to that promise from Jesus. Now, sadly, in the interim season, we lose sight of that. Texas Baptist conducted a survey of what happens in a normal interim pastorate season of transition in the life of a church. Look what Texas Baptist found. Quote, the interim period in the average church is used exclusively for finding the next pastor. Often attendance, giving, and energy decline during the interim period, increasing the discomfort in an already anxious Congregation. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that may be the average for Texas Baptists, but it ought not be the average for North Carolina Baptists. Amen? <laughs> it may be the average for others, but it shouldn't be our average. We should be so focused on the Father. We should be so focused on the fact that Jesus will build his church. That During the interim season, it's not that the energy level goes down. It's the energy level goes up. Not that giving and attendance go down, but attendance and giving go up because we're expectant of watching Jesus build his church, keep his promise. Children of Israel going through a season of transition, the Lord says, focus on me, focus on my promise. The last thing I want you to see in this text, he says, and I want you to focus on my presence. Look with me, verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses. I will be with you. Those had to be the sweetest words Joshua had ever heard. They had to be the sweetest words the children of Israel had ever heard. Just as I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. Then look at the last phrase. I will not fail you. Or forsake you. The word forsake there means to neglect or abandon. The Lord says to the children of Israel in this season of transition, I'm, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to neglect you. I'm here with you. Doesn't that sound awful familiar to Matthew chapter 28? Look what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here it is. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We're in a season of transition. But God hasn't left us alone. He is here with us. He walks with Emmanuel. You see the picture of my daughter, Christina, that I introduced to you last week. Tina came home from that trip to the Philippines that I spoke of last Sunday morning. And two years later, she said to her mom and dad, Mom and dad, what do you think about me applying to the International Mission Board to be a, a journeyman missionary, a two-year assignment overseas? She applied, was accepted. She was assigned to East Asia. She lived and served in the Himalayan mountains there along the border of the country where she was resident. When she first went off to journeyman training, uh, the, the plan was that she would be paired with another single girl and the two of them would be partners for two years in ministry and they would share an apartment and they would eat together and support one another and work together in ministry. And once she got to her training... She called back and said, plans have changed. It seems that when I arrive in country, I will not have my partner with me for the first semester. But after the first semester, then my partner will join me. And we'll spend the next year and a half together. Not long after that, she called again and said, plans have changed. I won't have a partner. And so mom and dad are at home in Wilson's Mills, North Carolina, and we're thinking of our daughter in the Himalayan mountains by herself. Her immediate supervisor was an hour and a half plane ride away. 
There were other company personnel in her town. If something happened, if something went wrong, they could take care of her. They could minister to her. That gave us a sense of relief. But in essence, she was living in a country that she was trying to learn the language. She was living in a culture that she knew not of, living by herself. One particular day, Tina hadn't been in country very long. I was teaching some high school students about missions and giving your life to missions. And, and I had thought, you know, it'd be great if I'll just Skype Tina into the meeting and they can ask all the questions they want to ask. And they'll learn from Tina and I'll get to see my daughter. Win for everybody. We Skyped Tina in. They started asking questions. How's the food? Well, she talked about the food. What about where you live? She talked about her apartment. How about the language? Are you learning the language? And I'm, I've learned a few words and... They just began to pepper her with questions. And then, then one kid, one kid messed it all up. One kid said, do you ever get lonely? Tears raced to my eyes. She said, sure, all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, the Adam's apple in my throat just blocked all of my breathing for the next few minutes. I just had this vision of my daughter halfway around the world, all alone, feeling lonely all the time. Then he said, what do you do when you get lonely? She said, I reach for my Bible. I open it up. I begin to read and I begin to pray. And I'm reminded that I'm not alone at all. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a promise the Lord Jesus Christ makes to Emmanuel Baptist Church. As we seek to fulfill the Great Commission, even in this transition period, we do not walk alone. He walks with us. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So this morning, what we discover is in a season of transition, we, we need to look upwardly. We need to focus on God. We need to focus on his promise that he will build his church. Even in this interim season, he will build his church. And we must focus on his precious promise that he gives us and that he walks with us along this journey, along this path. We do not walk alone. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I want you to know that his love for you is almost indescribable. His love is seen best when you look on a cross and understand that upon a cross, he shed his blood and gave his life as payment for your sin. His love is best seen when you look at an open tomb of the first century and see that he has come forth victorious and is alive. And in that moment, you understand that Jesus died for your sin but arose for your victory. So that if you would simply confess your sin and 
submit your life to his lordship, you might have life everlasting, life abundant on this earth. Would you come this morning if you've never trusted Christ and just say, Chuck, today, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you're here, your church membership is somewhere else, and God is leading you to be a part of this wonderful family of faith, even in this transition season. Would you come and just say, Chuck, my family and I, we want to join Emmanuel. We'll handle the details. Maybe you want to come and turn these steps into a prayer altar and just say, Lord, would, would you just put your hands upon me and help me to focus on you? Help me to focus on your promises in my life and to help me focus on your presence in my life. And Lord, would you do the same for this, your church? These steps are open for you to come and pray. Father, would you take control of this time of invitation so that you would be honored and you would be glorified and lives would be changed, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.